seated. Let's take a moment to seek the Lord's favor as we turn to his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word may be a blessing to us through your spirit who inspired it. And may we take delight in knowing that Christ's word is worth hearing and ought to be obeyed and trusted, whether it is for a change of life, whether it is in seeking salvation, whether it is seeking to serve our God in accordance with the word of Christ. May we find that joy today again as we turn to the word. We ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're still looking at Luke chapter 4, as we have over the past couple of weeks. We're still there, and we are going to be finishing that chapter up this morning as we look at verses 31 to 44 of Luke 4. In this chapter, as you're looking for that passage, we've seen the temptation of Jesus, we've seen the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth, and now we're finding out about his continued preaching of the good news and how that is showing forth both in word and also in deed, not so much the preaching in, in deed, but well, in a way that is how it comes out because we hear about the authority that he's able to carry out in the teaching through these demonstrations of his power. Uh, we're going to be looking here at Luke 4, 31 to 44. And God's word says to us there, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them, and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. 
And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. We thank the Lord for his word again this morning. I'm glad that we could pray that it may be a blessing to us on this Lord's day. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the boys and girls who are here today, uh, I wanted to mention a few things to them, or at least one thing to them. When your mom and dad say to you, come to the dinner table, why do you listen? Now, maybe you listen because you're hungry, and you've been waiting for the dinner to be served. But if you get down to it, the reason why you listen to your mom and dad is because they're your mom and dad. Now that sounds a little bit circular, but they have what's called authority over you, don't they? When they speak, when they speak, you need to listen to them, right? But do you ever notice that your mom and dad don't go over to your neighbor's house and talk to those children that might be there and say, Hey, it's dinner time. Come to our table. They don't do that, do they? Because they, they might have authority over you, but they don't have authority over your neighbor's children. Mom and dad can't go over next door to, to your neighbor's kids and say that because they don't have authority over them. But that's different with Jesus, isn't it? We read in our passage that people were amazed that Jesus spoke with authority. And see, when Jesus speaks, it's different than when our moms and dads speak. When we hear our moms and dads speak, we ought to listen. Because God gave to those parents, your parents, authority, and you need to listen to them. But not everybody has to listen to your mom and dad as mom and dad. That's a limited authority. But when Jesus speaks, he has all authority. When he speaks, everybody needs to listen. Your mom and dad. Your neighbor's children. Your neighbor's. And that's why the good news of Jesus goes like it does here. It goes to all kinds of places. It goes throughout the world. Because it's the whole world that needs to listen to Jesus. To the good news of Jesus. And that includes you and me. You know, authority is one of those two-edged swords, isn't it, beloved? When exercised properly, so many good things happen. Trust can be built, protection can be found, uh, security is promised, direction can be given, peace can be kept, communion can be built. But if that authority is abused or if it's neglected, 
then the opposite things happen all the way even to death and destruction, don't they? We sometimes hear that we live in an anti-authoritative age. People don't want to listen to their parents. They don't want to listen to their teachers. They don't want to listen to their policemen. People don't want to listen to their bosses. You're supposed to show up on time. You don't show up. Who cares? I show up a few days of the week. Who cares? People don't want to listen to their coaches. Sometimes the reason why people don't want to listen is just simple rebellion, isn't it? It's not because the word that has been spoken was wrong that was misplaced, that was spoken in hatred, it's because we want to be our own boss. We don't like being told what to do. It's humiliating to us. We don't like doing what somebody else says, and the reason for it is because what's happened is, of course, is that hatred has built up into our hearts. We don't want our freedom shackled. It's not that we don't believe in authority, really, because everybody does. Everybody believes in authority in some way or another. It's only that we want all authority to reside with us. And so what we really want to do is we want to take the place of God, we want to take the place of Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. No, we want that. We want all authority. Just leave me alone. Of course, authority can be abused and neglected. People get fed up. And, and when that happens, then authority disintegrates and respect is lost and chaos ensues. And that's because people have gotten to the point where they feel like they can't trust those who are in authority. And they don't want to obey or they don't want to trust. They, can't, they don't see the point of it. Because people have either abused their authority or they've neglected their authority. I mean, is it any surprise that you see a bunch of truckers going down to Texas to make a border wall when the authorities, the people that are supposed to protect that border, don't protect it? And then people say, well, then we got to do something about them. Now, if they would have if the powers that be would have carried out their authority properly, you wouldn't see a bunch of truckers going down to Texas. But those are the things that happen when authority is neglected. In such a world where authority is trampled on and authority is abused, there's, there's still someone whose word demands our respect and deserves our attention with ultimate authority. And that's, of course, Jesus Christ. This is what people discovered in the person of Christ, and that is what we're supposed to recognize every day, and that's at the heart of this passage today. So this morning we're looking at Christ spreading the good news of God as he goes to Capernaum and other parts of Jewish lands both in proclamation and demonstration, both in word and in deed, Jesus is spreading 
the good news, and he shows why his news ought to be trusted, why it should be obeyed, because he has all authority. So we'll take a look at his proclamation first of all. Our passage begins by telling us that Jesus went down to Capernaum on a Sabbath again. And he taught in a local synagogue. And these people didn't try to throw him off a cliff this time. It was in the lowlands anyway, so there's no cliff to throw him off. But instead, what we read is that they were amazed, or they were astonished, because we read that his message came with authority. Now that's a bit of a sad state of affairs if you think about it. That all this time that they've been sitting and hearing the word, or whatever they were hearing in these synagogues, that these people had never heard anything with authority. They evidently had many people who had spoken, the teachers of the day and the rabbis of the day, sad to say, actually prided themselves in speaking strictly on the basis of what other human teachers had taught before. There was then no ultimate authority in what they were saying. It was strictly tradition. Why do you say what you do? Because that's what we've always said. Well, why trust and obey that? Our society isn't far from that approach, of course. You know, there's no ultimate authority. There's your word, there's my word, that's, there's somebody else's word. We all got a word. You live like you want to live, and I'll live like I want to live, though I don't even know why it is that the way I'm living is, I have no idea whether it's the best way or not, because who's to say? There's no ultimate authority. Then there's really no authority, is there? In contrast, Christ's word is amazing, because he does speak as somebody who has authority. We know from Luke about how he spoke. Right? If, we keep, if you read the entire book, and that's always a good thing to do when you're reading scripture, it's just to read through it. You know, we, Devotionals are good, that's fine, but devotionals don't always take you through a book. They hopscotch all over. It's okay, I mean, there's things that can be beneficial with that too, but, but when you read through it, then you see that when you hear that Christ spoke with authority, if you read through the whole book of Luke, you can see what exactly was he saying. Because we see evidence of that. He opened the scripture to people. That's what he did. We saw that already in Nazareth, right? He quotes the scriptures and applies it. He spoke with authority that way. The couple that was on the road to Emmaus mentioned that his word, as he opened the scriptures to them, burned in their hearts. Because it wasn't the word of men. It was the word of God. It was different. It was good news. It, it, and so it couldn't be ignored. Not by them. Not by anybody. And it couldn't be refuted by anybody. It was a word of grace. And it was a word of lordship. It was a word of salvation. And it was a word that said, this is the way you ought to live. The word of Christ is the word of God that no one ought to ignore. And, and that's why it was amazing. 
That's why these people were astonished, because nobody else can claim that kind of authority. Our society says love accepts every view of life. That's when you're really loving. No view is wrong. Well, of course, that denies the ultimate authority of the word of Christ, doesn't it? It reminds us that when it comes to living our lives and, and hearing the call to faith in Christ, that, that we, the, the good response, the way we need to be is, we need to stand up and say, you know, yes, I believe your word of Christ. Your way is the way. It's not, he's not, I am the ways and the truths and the lives. He's the great I am. One way, one truth, one life. When it comes to living out of our, out our lives, we need to turn to the word of Christ and console ourselves because we can say, hey, we found the ultimate authority here. And it reminds preachers and everybody who's a follower of Christ that the word that is to be presented is the word of Christ that deals with matters of life and eternity. Because without it, there isn't anything to preach about. There isn't anything to say. And there's nothing to sit up and take notice about and say, oh, isn't that amazing? There's nothing to burn our hearts. Nothing to live for, nothing to trust. Well, because it's a word of authority, of ultimate authority, not just a word of authority. Remember what we said, you know, moms and dads here can't go to somebody else's house and say, dinner time, get over to our house. <laughs> can't do that. You've got a measure of authority, but you don't have that much authority. Jesus has ultimate authority. And so it doesn't just belong to one corner of the world, right, or to one ethnic group. Right? Christians are over here, and Muslims are over here, and Buddhists are over there, and Hindus are over here, and everybody gets their corner of the globe. No, that's not how it works. If Jesus were the word of authority, it belongs in every corner of the world. Jesus declares that he is not going to stay in just one place. He needs to go elsewhere, he says, to preach the kingdom of God. Because, he says, that's why I was sent. Now, if his word was not ultimately authoritative, authoritative what would be the point of spreading the word? But it is ultimately authoritative. And so he preached the kingdom of God. So what was that? Well, he preached God's sovereign rule, the sovereign Savior, the only way to be saved, the sovereign Lord, the victorious one, the compassionate one, the, the one who would, was going to restore everything that belonged to him, who's going to work everything out to his sovereign good plan and goodwill and to the good of all those who belong to him. As this one who is in his sovereign plan is going to make everything new and perfect without any sin, without any sorrow, without any death. Who is going to restore people, body and soul all through Jesus Christ. 
preaching God's sovereignty that way is preaching good news. And that's important. Preaching good news is important. We need it even when we're Christians and we've already heard it. And the people of the world need it when they're not Christians. Jesus says preaching is so important. He says, this is the reason why I was sent. That's how he puts it. Preaching the word to a dark world is still so necessary. And we need to promote it wherever we can. Even if the church today wants to downplay the significance of preaching. The modern church. It's not that important. There's other things that are more important. And that's, what people, that's how people pick where they're going to end up going to church a lot of times. It has, has nothing to do with preaching. It has to do with what they can get out of it. What, how they're, they're stimulated by it. We're going to talk more about that tonight. But it's all part of that, that mentality that downplays the significance of preaching which the church has confessed as a means of grace. That is the, the instrument that the Spirit uses to change lives. Preachers need to take it seriously then. Preachers need to be bringing consolation and encouragement and hope to God's people as they're dealing with the the battle of faith that they're waging. That's part of why you come here. Right? To hear God speaking to you through the ministry of the word so that you respond in praise here and with hope as you leave. Congregational members need to see preaching as important, not because of the man, because men come and go. But they need to, to see the importance of preaching because of the message that's being brought. It needs to continue to be a message that proclaims the sovereignty of God in everything. So that the praise of God might be given in everything. Because our God deserves nothing less. He deserves a spreading of the good news of his kingdom through preaching. We all need it. We all need to respond to its good news that though the wrong seems off so strong and attractive, the saving sovereign God in Jesus Christ is the ruler yet and he's so much better. Christ's authoritative spreading of the good news was also demonstrated. We see that in this passage too. Exorcism and healing, we see that. And it's all wrapped together with this theme word, rebuke. Jesus rebuked the synagogue demon in verse 35. He rebuked the high fever of Simon's mother-in-law, verse 39. And the demons he rebuked because they knew he was the Christ in verse 41. Rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. And when we see that in this passage, we see that the emphasis then is not so much on the on the, the, the act, it wasn't so much on the healing, it wasn't so much on the exorcism, as it is on the word that he spoke to heal and the word that he speaks to exercise. 
And, and that certainly wasn't missed by those people back then, was, was it? What is this teaching, they said. That's how they responded. To it. What is this teaching? Well, he was healing and he was exercising. What's, where's the teaching in that? Well, it's, it's, there's this authority in his word. And power. He gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him and they come out. This demonstration was a lesson about who Jesus was and what he came to do. The demon was exactly right. Jesus was the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Aaron was called the Holy One of the Lord as a priest in Psalm 106, verse 16. Samson was called the Holy One of God in, as a judge in Judges 13, 7. Elisha was called a holy man as a prophet in 2 Kings 4, 9. Almost like prophet, priest, and king. This is what we're talking about here. This holiness in office all comes together in Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. He comes to destroy evil like nobody else can because he's the Holy One. He's unique in that way. Evil cannot stand up against that kind of righteousness. It has no power over such goodness. Evil enslaves evil people. But evil has no power over good. But Jesus came to change that. Jesus comes to change that in people so that they are no longer evil. Jesus as the Holy One of God has authority over evil. And he has the authority to remove it. And he has the authority to change people for the good then. And what a blessing when you know that for yourself, that he changed you for the good. So you could do good. So you can make a difference. So you, again, I say this often, so you have a reason to get up in the morning. He has the authority not only to remove demons, but to go to the cross to destroy the power of sin and Satan in people. He also had the authority to remove all signs of evil, and indeed he will from this world, when he determines its best from his Father's bidding and calling. And he's the only one who could do that. The only one. And in a multicultural world, or multiculturalism, where everybody says there's all kinds of ways to live a good life, he's the only one who can give you a good life. He's the only one who can give you good news. He's the only one who can do that, and therefore it is his righteous word that needs to be respected. It's his word to which we must turn to know forgiveness and to find the help we need to battle the evil in our own lives. Our Bibles need to be open, not shut. You see, the rebuke of a fever, now that seems odd. To rebuke a fever... I doubt very much that while you've been, if some of you, and I know a number of people have been sick during this season, that anybody came over and said, hey, have you rebuked your fever lately? Right? You would say, no, 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 no. I've been taking NyQuil and I've been taking this medicine that they've been giving me and what have you. But yeah, because that would be an odd thing to say, wouldn't it? But in this case, when he's rebuking a fever, it's an emphasis of the authority of Jesus. 
before the fall, sickness wasn't a problem. Now sickness is part of the curse. And sickness ultimately leads to death, the wages of sin. Jesus, you see, when we're looking at a passage like this one, reminds us that he didn't just come to save your soul, he came to save your body. It underscores the compassion and the depth of mercy of the Son of God. He came to save you holistically. It teaches us that in him there's life, that he's the Lord of life, and that he has come to bring a new order. It teaches that he's the great physician. It doesn't teach us that we will not get sick if we're a Christian. And it does not mean that everybody is going to get healed miraculously in this world. It does teach us again, though, that his word can be trusted and respected even when we are sick. Or we know someone who is. You can trust that you belong to him, body and soul, in life and his death, his word assures you of that. And you can trust him through the low points and you can trust him through the high ones. You don't, you're called not to lose heart in the low ones. Don't lose heart. But don't forget him in the high ones either. As if you don't need him. Give thanks to him for whatever healing he gives by whatever means. And rest on him when healing seems elusive. We can look forward to a day when there will be no more sickness. We can be assured of that by Christ's word. We can be assured of his compassion both now and for eternity. And that's good news. We also see one other rebuke, and that's of the demon's at the end where he tells them to stay quiet. Actually, he tells them both sets to be quiet because they knew he was the Christ. And the demons recognized Jesus as the Son of God, which God the Father declared, uh, which Satan wanted Christ to prove, uh, which Nazareth would not acknowledge. See, even the demons know who he is and they shudder. The people of his own hometown Thought he was just Joseph's son. Even the demons know that he's the son of God. But Jesus doesn't want them to shout that from the rooftops. We're called to trust and love him as such, but this was not for them to do. Why is it that he refuses to let them proclaim him as Christ, these demons? Elsewhere, Jesus asked for silence for those who were the recipients of his love because he didn't want them to make him king. Chapter 6, verse 15 speaks about that. And we've seen already where people wanted to kill him before his time, but, but perhaps we can also say, given the fact that Jesus was going to go about spreading the good news himself, that he wanted quiet from the demons because it was not for the evil to proclaim the Christ. It's simply not right for the enemies of Christ to proclaim him. 
though they certainly must acknowledge him. The Christ was not going to be proclaimed by the words of demons. Christ was going to be proclaimed and demonstrated first by Christ himself and then by those whose lives have been changed by Christ. And that makes sense even in our own world. The world doesn't, right? I mean, if, you, if, if the world had its way, there would be no mention of Christ. Not, not true Christ. According to the flesh, maybe, but not according to the spirit. When it is mentioned, it's discredited. But a lot of times it just tries to be ignored. You know, you could turn on your iPad, well, maybe not, yeah, you could find everything on the iPad or on, on your iPhone or your comparable ones, but if you turn on a television, let's put it that way, you could go through channel after channel and watch show after show, and you'd think Christ never existed. Because entertainment doesn't want to talk about Christ. The world just as soon have Christ's name be silenced for its own purposes. But then what else would we expect? Because it's not for them to proclaim Christ. That shouldn't surprise us. It's for followers of Christ to proclaim him. And now's the time for that. Some people won't listen. Some people will. One way or another, Christ's word, though, is going to accomplish what it sets out to do, right? Faith in some, unbelief in others, with the same authority as we see displayed here. The same authority. How powerful and authoritative is the word of Christ? And that's why it keeps spreading and needs to keep spreading. And that's why, of course, it deserves your respect and my respect and my trust and your trust today. And anybody that you know. See, Christ spread the good news by word and deed, by, by proclamation and demonstration. And in both cases, his word displayed the highest of authority from God who sent him. It's a word that demands and deserves our trust and respect for the, the good news it brings and for the, the Holy One who brings it. It's a word that deserves a, a continuing spreading in proclamation. We should be seeing more proclamation, not less. And it needs to be seen, that spreading needs to be seen in demonstration to the world as well. And that's what we can all do. I mean, there's a way in which that happens by office bearers, to be sure. But, but there's also a way in which we can find ourselves in word and in deed, right? Spreading the goodness of the word of Christ in the world in which we live. We can do it personally. It's amazing what we can do when we give of our gifts, right? To be able to, to help others to do those sort of things. Whether we do that in the morning we give our gifts or evening we give of our gifts, helps to spread the proclamation of the word of the gospel. May the Lord's word receive that kind of respect from us and praise God from others as well. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for 
the guidance that you grant us in your word to help us in good times and bad. We're glad for the authority that it deserves from us. Our children get reminded about the authority they have with their parents, and they need to be good listeners to their parents. But we all need to be good listeners of Christ, to trust him, respect him, obey him, rest in him. May that be so for us, Lord, and for others. That's the good news of Christ's authoritative, ultimate, ultimately authoritative word of salvation and lordship spreads throughout the world. We accept our prayers for Jesus.